Our scripture reading this evening is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Christ's example of humility. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Uh, like I said, we're, this is the first of four of a series that we're doing on race. And uh, when many of these events in our cultural moment happened about 14 months ago, as far as some of the boiling that happened, um, I, I wanted to step back and I wanted to uh, spend time before I jumped in. And so uh, the last 14 months, uh, I, I've gone through quite the reading list, uh, as a Presbyterian will do. They read their way to victory. Um, uh, if you want that reading list, I can give it to you, all right? Um, but, but this is what we're going to do is this is the structure of four weeks is um, we're going to have a white guy speak to you, an Asian guy speak to you, a black guy speak to you, and a Latino. And we're all going to take our experiences and the problem of racism, and we're going to go to God's word, and we're going to go to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to have him speak to us. We're going to let him have the first and the last words on this subject. Now, uh, if it wasn't obvious to you, I'm, I'm a white guy. Okay, um, and what I'm not going to do is that I am not going to apologize for speaking on race as a white dude, um, even though even though I recognize I am part of the dominant culture that is rife with oppressive sins. Um, I realize I need to take care in that, but I'm not going to be silent. And the reason why I'm not going to be silent is we've had too many generations of white passivity white ministers being quiet and not saying anything. And so my calling to you as a minister of God is to give to you the words of God. So your first argument is going to be with him. Now, possibly, secondarily, you could have an argument with me if you feel I am not faithfully representing God's word. So that would be a fair argument to have. But primarily you are going to fight up and against the most high God. 
So bring your arguments there first. I'm going to bring my arguments there as we approach the Word of God. Um, I don't think, uh, I want to say this is, I don't think that this is the only way the world is broken today. Racism is not the only way the world is broken. Uh, But I do think it's important for such a time as this. I really do. Uh, And how we run to God's word and to Jesus in this matter and a barrel full of other social matters, how we run to God's word is going to have huge consequences and ramifications for this community, but then also for for the church for years to come. And so it, it, it behooves us. Does anyone still use the word behoove? <laughs> it behooves us to go to Jesus in his word with this. Um, so here's where we're going. I'm going to say three things tonight. These are the three prongs. I'm going to tell you that racism is a sin. Two, I sin in the same way as racists. So do you. Three, There's hope for racists in the world, suffering under racism. So let's jump into it. One, racism is a sin. Now, you might think um, if you grew up in church, you'd think, you know, Tim, that is overly, like, I get that, buddy. Like, why do you you start there? Um, This is why I'm, I'm starting there, is that racism is not just social inequity. Like, it's not just socially disadvantageous to um, communal systems. Uh, it's not just primeval in like an evolutionary sense, but we figured stuff out and we've gotten smarter and smarter and now we've realized, oh yeah, racism is super bad for the world. And I, I, I don't even want to say it's not just repugnant to our cultural, current cultural sensibilities. I'm telling you that racism is a sin. It's not in accordance with the person and character of God and the person and his spirit and the person of Jesus. Uh, so Philippians 2, along with almost every other page of scripture, um, is going to describe um, racism or superiority over another person as it's, it's, it's always been sin, it's still sin, and 500 years from now, it's still going to be a sin. Um, here's, let's listen to Paul, Philippians 2. He says this, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Okay. What is edifying, encouraging Christ walk? That's a question. What is participation in uh, the Spirit's movements, the Spirit's ways, the Spirit's style, if you will? What, what is the display of anything that we might consider or define as love? What is that? Being unified. And Paul says this. It's non-selfishness. The not me exhibits Christ walk and spirit participation. Uh, There's a a comedian, Brian Regan, has this bit. 
and he goes through it and he's like, I'm at a dinner party and um, there I am. And some guy takes the, 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 the table hostage and he starts talking about like where he's been, where he's traveled, what he's acquired, the cars he has, the people he knows, blah, 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 blah. And he starts morphing into like, here's his tone and his tone is building up into a crescendo. And he goes, me, me, me. This guy, he's characterizing the guy at the table talking about himself, me. And he calls him the me monster. This is the beginning of the roots for something that is not Christ-like, not spirit participating. Is this like, oh, I am going to think about self and I'm going to tell people about self. I'm going to put attention on the self. Look at me, look at me, 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 me first, me, 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 me monster. Okay, so what is humility? Philippians 2, 3 tells us. Count others as more significant than yourself. Now, Brian Regan's bit goes on. And he has a solution to the me monster. He places another character at the dinner table with the me monster. just like, look at me and what I have and where I've been, blah, 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 me, 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 me. And he says, he introduces a character who's a retired astronaut who simply lifts his glass and says, I've walked on the moon. And that's supposed to kill obnoxious me monster because can you top, I've walked on the moon? Can you top it? And so Brian's Regan's solution is this, just find a bigger me monster who's not obnoxious about it. That's not what Paul is saying. All right, count others as more significant than myself. Now you guys have grown up in American self-esteemism. So you, all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, wait a second, I'm gonna be devalued. All right, Paul is not saying you're worthless. Um, Paul is not saying you have nothing to offer. He's not saying that you didn't receive gifts and talents from God. He's not saying that you're gonna be ignored, forgotten, abused, and discarded. He's not saying that you're not a prized son or daughter of God. He's not even saying that. Um, it's, he's not even saying this, um, ignore your personal health and just be used up by all the people around you. He's not saying that. How do I know that? Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others as well. It is anti-godliness, anti-spirit, anti-Jesus to say what? I will take care of me and everybody else can fend for themselves and work it out. Come to find out we are our brother's keeper. So what is the sin? What are the sins according to Paul? Um, I care about me and only me. Um, I think I'm more significant than other people. I really do. 
and I think about the interests of myself and I care little about how things turn out for other people. Now, that certainly includes the sins of racism. Like, okay, I'm more important, I'm superior than you, I need to go first, I'm ranked higher, I should get preferential me first consideration, I'm specialer, and though not many people would say it aloud, it does include, um, I kind of do think my skin, my culture, my tribe, my track, my cultural track um, gives me an edge over them. But it includes much, much more than that. Um, to, to repeat a popular line in our circles, cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. Because it's not just related to that. Um, do you know the group of people that Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. addressed the most, appealed to the most? It wasn't presidents. It wasn't activists, other activists in other cities. It, it wasn't interested parties in what he was doing. It wasn't his enemies, it wasn't congressmen, it wasn't foreign powers or dignitaries. It wasn't the poets or the artists or the bohemians or the academy. It, it wasn't the new and budding youth that he thought maybe he could shape the new future. Do you know who he addressed the most? White ministers. White ministers. Why was he doing this? Because he was trying to appeal to the sin of it. Like this, this wasn't a new thing. This was a sin established by the word of God. And he was appealed. He's like this, I am going to appeal to you on moral grounds. This is a sin. This is a violation against our holy God. God has instructed his followers how to live. Racism isn't new. It's a really, really old one. My friend Carl Rogers is going to speak to us in a couple weeks, and he is going to talk about, all right, you want to talk about where racism started? Genesis 11, 12, he's going to get in. It. It's going to be great. I'm not going to do that tonight. But this is it, is um, we have been pointing to something else to gain some fraction of superiority over another person for ages. It's not like we've been suddenly evolutionarily awakened to this. Um, it is, it, I, I cannot, I can't like overstate the importance of calling racism a sin against a holy God. Why? Because I'm telling you, it is a crucial step in saying that the solution will also begin with God himself. That's why we're calling it a sin. A violation again needs, we need God to handle it. We're gonna start there instead of any like human strategies. We're gonna go like, God, God, oh, oh, we've morally violated. So we're gonna call it sin so we can handle it with you. Um, I, I, I've had this massive book, book list this past 14 months, and, and the descriptions are, are pretty dark about our, our current reality, and um, it's depressing, the history is depressing, and 
but this is fascinating to me. Only the Christian, Asian American, and black authors, only, it's exclusive, it's stunning, only the Christian, black, and Asian American authors offered hope. Racism is sin. It's a violation of everything that has to do with the character and person and design of God for the flourishing of all image bearers. I hope I didn't belabor that, but it's huge because if we start there, then it's gonna direct how and what the hope is. So number two, uh, I, I sin in the same way as racist, which is another way of saying I'm a racist. So do you, so are you. <laughs> so yeah, succinctly, we're racists. <laughs> uh, we suffer from a radical sin problem and that includes racism. Um, Philippians calls us out as perpetrators of the exact sin that we say that we hate and we're totally, totally, totally against. I'm telling you, I'm totally against it, right? We fall all over ourselves. Um, <laughs> you, I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the past, especially the past 14 months, white people are falling over themselves to tell you, I'm not a racist, I'm not a racist, and I'm, in, I'm endeavoring to be anti-racist. I'm trying real hard. And I'll post and I'll march and I'll show up and I'll donate and, and I just want you to know, I'll condemn who you want me to condemn, I'll cancel whatever, I just want you to know I'm not a racist, I'm totally not a racist, I, I just trust me, not a racist. <laughs> People are falling over themselves. I'll apologize for anything you want me to apologize for. And this is what's interesting. You have all these white people falling over themselves to be anti-racist. And no one's a racist. <laughs> no one's a racist. Who's the racist? Well, extreme, you know, extreme examples. First John 1 tells us this. If you say you don't sin... You're a liar. And you're self-deceived. So the person you're lying to is yourself. <laughs> and then John has that kicker. And the spirit of God is not in you. Whoa. For me to say, hey, I'm not racist, that's a mark of the spirit of God not in me. That's stunning. Because what? We're falling over ourselves and say, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. I'm not a racist. I, I think this describes, and I'm guilty of this, by the way. I think this describes the person who has tried the wokest of all wokest programs and suddenly feels that they're on the reconnaissance radar team for pointing out possible hints of racism in culture, and, and no one asked them to do this, and I think they are prime, prime targets for deep, deep racist sin. That's a controversial statement, and let me explain. Um, Paul says this in Philippians. Uh, he, says, he says, you know, this is why he's calling 
you to care about others. He said, because he knows that I care about me, I think I'm more significant than others, and I think about the interests of myself and care little about the interests of others. And that's why he's, Paul is actually calling them to something else. So the God communing, spirit submitting, God soaked, God honoring, Jesus following life has this beautiful tendency not to pump yourself up and to think about others. Two, you, when you're around a person who is participating in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, you feel special and you don't feel like they're trying to get ahead of you. Look, all of us in this room tonight and, and those listening, I think we would, all of us to a person would absolutely decry and condemn racism. I think we would. In all of its bad forms, I think we would. And I, don't th and I think we would have earnestness there. Like, I don't think it would be an outward nicety. I think we'd, we'd say, yeah, I'm totally against that. But, but I've got to show you how you're racist and I'm racist when we don't feel like we are. I think this, I think um, my actions and my so I'm not talking about racism per se, but I do think my actions, my decisions, my smart savviness, my life choices uh, do make me a cut above the commoner, the hoi polloi. I think my knowledge, I think my reading repertoire, repertoire separates me from the dolts who read Danielle Steele. I think I'm better than them. I think my amazing friends and peer set reiterate to me, I am a part of the right group of people. I am. The writer group of people. Um, my political views are clearly better than the idiots on the other side. I am better than them. That's racist talk. <laughs> That's racist talk. My career, my set, my zip code, my wins, my investments, my wealth, my, my relational respect makes me a better human being than the schlubs that are not me. Me, 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 better, better. Do you, you're, now the dots. Um, this can iterate itself in really sneaky ways, too, and, and let me show you how. Um, yes, you can appeal to your wealth as a way to set you above people. You can appeal to your wealth. That's a thing. But did you know that you can appeal to your non-wealth to set you above and apart from other people, too? You can say, at least I'm not like those affluent, privileged princesses over there in that, that bubble. I'm better because I don't have it. 
We don't say that, but we believe that. We're playing with all the same Lego pieces as racist Lego pieces. But we're not racist, are we? Yeah, we are. Um, Philippians 2.4 says this. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, this is huge. This is why the biblical writers want to point out these sets of problems as sin. Because we're going to run to external superficial things to what? Self-justify ourselves. Um, this is not a... This is not, um, a social issue, primarily, primarily, we have a theological and Jesus issue. We've got problems with God before we have racist problems. I'm not made good, right, and worthy by God. I am made good and right by all these other signifiers and markers and variables, including skin pigmentation. So Shylin, Shylin is an American uh, rapper, Christian rapper, and Jesus-following musician and poet and writer. And you know what he says? Um, and it's fascinating to me. I, I read this this past week, actually. He says, justification by faith is the key to eliminating Racism. What? Why does he say that? Because he knows that you and me, we're on a quest to feel above. We are on a quest to feel superior and we will find it every, anywhere. We are on a self-justifying quest to, to an appeal to all these superficial, superficial markers for rightness, worthiness, identity, uh, lovability, whatever it is. I want you to see this. The new wokeness in its worst expression is simply trying to make a new group of self-justified people who can stand above and condemn all the ignorant schlubs below them. And Shai Lin goes on to say this. He says, we have a Jesus and justification problem, don't we? And that problem makes us racist. Every last one of us. All right, that's depressing. True, but depressing. We need some hope. Um, there's hope for racists and a world suffering from racism and self-justifications. Okay, where's their hope? Um, because none of us dodge all these sins beneath racism. None of us dodge it. Uh, in, in my reading list uh, this past year, time and time again, the authors would point to this. They would point, hey, look, this is what we got to do. This is across the board now. Uh, over 20 authors across the board, this is what they're saying. Is they're like, um, we're seeking some sort of equity. And we want a purposed rebalancing of, of power and wealth and privilege and resources and systems that will address all of these um, really jacked up wrongs. And across the board, 
there was assertions by almost every author, not, not exclusively 100%, but almost every author, is that the real change, real change could happen socially, globally, if a dominant culture, so in our national moment, that's the white people. If the dominant culture could voluntarily, not my words, their words, voluntarily, because coercion would just make another angry class, right? So voluntarily give up their power and their position and their resources for the social-mindedness sake of a broader global community and national and regional and city community. Um, but, but this is it. The dread in these non-Christian authors was palpable. <laughs> the hopelessness was actually quite real because they had incisively described the problem, the history of the problem, the, the narrative of the problem, and described the solution of, of a dominant culture voluntarily giving up um, resources to rebalance. They described this beautiful solution, but they said to a person, they said this, <laughs> but no one does that. <laughs> who would do that? Who would do that? No one do, would do that willingly. So second best, knowing that the dominant culture is not gonna willingly give up power, wealth, and resources to rebalance, um, second best is we will fight for it. We will wrestle, tear, and fight until we get the equity we are talking about. And it's depressing. Here's the hope for racist and all races. There is someone who would do that. <laughs> Listen to Paul, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He had all the power and wealth and dominance gave it up. Though, though he had every right to it, right? He went lower than others, though he didn't need to do that. He emptied wealth, person, safety, security for racists like me, racists like you. He committed himself to humanity for eternity. It's a prison of sorts. I, I want you to get this image is that he committed himself to humanity like a prison because uh, his flesh is captioning a God to flesh for eternity for the sake of atoning and forgiveness and resurrected wholeness with ourselves and with each other. Um, there is, I commend this guy to you. He is a Jesus-following black pastor. His name is Avadi Baucom. And uh, he's, a, he's a great writer. He is a great uh, cultural thinker, a great theological thinker. I commend him to you. In, in fact, his book, Fault Lines, I commend, I commend it to you. It is fantastic. If you want an intro, you can find Vadi on YouTube, like little clips of him. 
Um, but he wrote this in fault lines, and I think it's worth, it's a little longish, but I, I put it uh, so you can see it on the screen. And this is Vadi. He says this, I've heard a mantra lately that rings hollow in my ears. There can be no reconciliation without justice. When I hear that, I want to scream, yes, and the death of Christ is that justice. He bellows this out. All other justice is proximate and insufficient. It is because of Christ's work on the cross that we can heed the apostles' admonition, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Who am I to tell a white brother that he cannot be reconciled to me until he has drudged up all the racial sins of his and his ancestors past and made proper restitution? Christ has atoned for sin. Vadi goes on to say, and he says, I am going to relentlessly believe that not only for myself, but for all my brothers and sisters of all races. See, this is where we're going to be getting repentance and repair. This is where we're going to discover our identity and security and greatness is through someone else, not us. This is where my superiority gets stripped away. Like, who can brag at the foot of the cross? None of us. It, the superiority melts away. The cross is where justice is found. That's where all the followers of Jesus are recalibrated in their thoughts towards themselves and to their fellow men. We can give up power because we're connected to his power. We can give up wealth because he who owns it all will take good care. So, last couple sentences, racism is a sin. I'm a racist sinner. I have a savior who saves racists and builds them again in his image and ways. So I, I just ask you to come with me, come with me to find all justification in him, not justification in skin or any other superficial marker. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, um, we are corrected and filled by your word. We are assured and forgiven by your son, Jesus. We are enlivened and brought to new and better works through the power of your spirit. And so we pray for you, the Trinity, the three in one, to occupy first us, your church, your common unity, for first your glory and praise, and second for our good. Amen.